Today we are finishing up our series called Vision in Action. We have looked at the five underlying values um, that feed into our vision statement. And our vision statement at this church is to create communities of hope, renewal, and growth for all. And today we're going to be looking at just the big picture. What is the big picture for us as individuals and as a church? And in order to do that, we are going to be in Matthew 22 and in Matthew 28. We're going to be looking at both the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. This is what the Word of Scripture says to us. You can read along with me either on the screen, uh, in your bulletin, or in your Bible. Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40 say this. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Then we get the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God indeed. As I was preparing for this week, I had this image come to mind, and it was of a moment that Joe and I shared together when we were in St. Augustine. Um, St. Augustine is a beach that I love. I know a lot of you like Destin and all that soft, sandy beach stuff, but I love the harder packed beach where you can walk for a long time, right? You can just keep walking and keep walking. That softer sand, you can't walk on it. It hurts. But... On this particular vacation, Joe and I were walking down the beach together, and we, um, the tide was way out. And when the tide goes out, they have all those little pools that are kind of left in the sand. And we were looking in the pools to see what was left there. Sometimes you see a starfish or all that kind of stuff. And in this one teeny tiny pool, we saw a whole bunch of fish. And Joe and I realized that the tide had just gone out. It was not coming back anytime soon. And that if these fish weren't moved into the ocean, they were going to die. And so Joe and I decided that we were going to become superheroes, and we were going to save these fish from certain death by picking them up and returning them to the sea. When I say we, I mean Joe, because there's no way I was going to touch the fish. And so Joe put his big old mitt down into the water and tried to get the fish. And can you imagine what happened when he put his hand in that pool of water? The fish went everywhere. They were terrified of this thing coming into their atmosphere. They had no idea that what Joe was trying to do was save them from death. They just knew that it was foreign, that it was unknown. They knew to be afraid of it. They knew that it made them anxious. And it took us quite some time, I'm going to tell you, to get all of those fish caught, even though it was small, it was teeny tiny, we knew that it was going to evaporate soon, but chasing them around, but we did it. We saved those fish. 
And I remember distinctly, this happens when you're a pastor, I remember distinctly leaving that moment thinking that's going to be a sermon one day because you're always looking for sermon examples. But I knew that because I realized that I have been that fish. As soon as I walked away from that pond, I realized how many times in my life I have been in a situation where my life has been turned upside down or something unexpected has come into a very normal, mundane, easygoing world and flipped everything on its head. And when that happens, I tend to, because I'm a control freak, I don't know about you, but as in this control freak body, she tends to, me, freak out a little bit. And I try to get everything back in order and put things the way that it was before because the way it was before is obviously the way I like it because I had it that way for a reason. And then I think, even though I'm a control freak and not everybody is, I think most of us, most of us, like our lives or are comfortable in our lives, even if, this is the crazy part, even if our life isn't that great because we're comfortable. It's familiar. We like things that are familiar. We like things that we can predict. We like to know what's going to happen. And when something happens in our lives that shakes things up, that turns things upside down, for the good or for the bad, we get a little anxious. It could be as good as getting a brand new job. We're still going to be anxious. We're still going to want to control the outcome. It could be as hard as losing a loved one and trying to figure out what life looks on the other side of that. These fish, like you and I, see that hand, see that change as a foreign object to avoid. And we do that because you and I, well, we're not connected to the big picture like we need to be. We're so focused on the here and now. We're so focused on this moment in time, on our nuclear life, our husband, our wife, our kids, our parents, our household. We forget that we were made for so much more than that. We forget that we were created intentionally. What do we tell the kids every single week? We were created in love, on purpose, for a purpose. That's bigger than us. That's bigger than anything we could control or predict. Yet still we try. And what we see happening in this scripture here are two instances where Jesus continues to flip ministry, to flip life upside down. If you put yourself in the shoes of those who are in this space and time with Jesus, I think it would feel pretty familiar to you. I think that most of us would feel a lot of the feelings that the Sadducees and the Pharisees felt in this moment because these men and women grew up believing a certain thing, believing a certain way. They grew up with laws, the Ten Commandments, 
guiding their lives. And then they took 10 commandments and created hundreds upon hundreds of rules and regulations to go along with them. And why did they do that? To control outcomes, to organize their lives, to try and stay faithful to what they believed God was calling them to. They did it out of a good heart. But did it lead to where God wanted them to be? Did it lead to freedom? Did it lead to hope? Did it lead to? No. And so what we find is that we have a whole bunch of people, when Jesus shows up, saying all of these things that make no sense to them, questioning everything. You see, for them, Jesus is that hand reaching down into the pool, fixing, changing everything. And their only thought is to run away. It's not to go near. Their only thought is that this is wrong, not this is what is going to save me. What you see happening around this text, which is important, we have to look around the text, remember. What you see happening around this text is these same people questioning everything. They say, well, what about taxes, Jesus? What do we do about these taxes? Who am I going to be married to in the afterlife, Jesus? If my wife dies now and then I have another wife later, who am I married to in heaven? You see them questioning resurrection. You see them questioning every little thing about who they are and about what they believe. But none of it has to do with the big picture. None of it has to do with why we're here in the first place. You see, Jesus says to them, after all of these questions, after all of these questions, they're still confused. They're really mad, but they're still confused. And so they say to Jesus, all right, we're going to trip them up with this one. We're going to ask them what's the greatest commandment. Because, you know, there's some people who are going to believe that the greatest commandment has to do with circumcision. And then there's some of the people who are going to believe that the greatest commandment has to do with the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the most important thing. When I'm granted, probably all of us get that one wrong a little bit. So they're going to try and trip them up with this question. And Jesus says to them, in answer to this question, he pulls them back to the big picture. He says the greatest of the commandments is what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And to me, this pulls us way back to the beginning. You see, these people have been raised on Scripture not written, but spoken. These people know the law. These people know the story of God. But somehow, along the way, they've forgotten the core of who they are. And who they are are created children of God. Because if you look at the beginning, what happened in the beginning, the very first few chapters of the Bible, of Scripture, that we see are Genesis. 
They heard these same stories, these same narratives about creation. And what do we see in creation? God created the heavens and the earth. God created fish and God created animals. And why did God create these things? Why? For humanity. For all of humanity to live in, to enjoy, to be in relationship with. That's big picture. God created humanity for each other, for community, to be in relationship with one another. And then God created humanity for relationship with God. That was the original intent, and we are going into a series on Genesis next, beginning next week, and we're going to dig into this original intent. What was the plan? Because we get so caught up sometimes in where we're headed with this great commission and salvation and being saved that we forget that there was a plan before salvation. We forget that there's an ark in Scripture that has nothing to do with salvation and has everything to do with the fact that we have always been children of God, created by God, to be loved by God. And if nothing else is true about us, that will always be true. And we're created for that relationship, to love God, to love our creator, to be in relationship with our creator. And everything we do, whether that's parenting, doing the dishes, as your parent asks you to, because they do that. Whether that's driving in the ridiculous traffic that we drive in in this town. Everything we do is meant to be done out of what? Out of that love. Out of that love that we have for God. Everything we do. Our work. We do it out of love for God, not for our boss, not to make a paycheck, not to make ends meet. We do it because we love God and we want to serve and honor God. The laws that the Israelites, that the, that the Jewish people turned into, this litany of things that they had to do in order to be right, made them forget the big picture. They were created for more than rules and regulations. They were created for relationship. You were created for relationship. You were not created for this world. You were created for relationship. And so Jesus reminds them in this moment that what is most important today, tomorrow, every day, is your relationship with God, and then with it, together, not separate, it's not one or the other, it's not one one day and the other another day, but together, with it, is love for our neighbor. And that's not literal neighbor. That's not your next door neighbor. That's not your husband. That's not your kid. That's not your, cu your cube mate at work. That is literally every human on the face of this planet. That's not people who think like you or look like you. If you're a Republican, that's loving every Democrat. If you're a Democrat, that's loving every Republican. If you are straight, that means loving everybody who is not straight. 
It means loving people of every color, every creed, every nation, as if they were your own family. Because the reality is they are. They are your family. That means loving every human that's sitting in prison right now as if they belong to you. Because we're all connected. And the only way that this world is going to change, the only way our community is going to change, is if you and I take that seriously. We're the ones who can change that. This world is broken, and we can't change it in one big foul swoop, but we can change it one decision at a time. And that comes when we choose love. We choose to do everything we do out of the love that we have for God, and we choose to love our neighbor with the love that God has given us. A forgiving love, a merciful love, a kind love. And when that happens, change happens. Jesus is pulling these people into the idea, into the understanding that they were made for so much more than laws and regulations. They were made for so much more than success and politics and performance. And then, as he gets ready to leave, we go to Matthew 28, where we get the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is a, is a call. It's a call on us to share that love, to share the love that we've given to the entire world, because guess what? The entire world needs to understand that love to not keep it to ourselves. And what we have done too often is to make our lives about the individual, to make our lives about us. And say, okay, once I get my own life figured out, once I get everything okay in my own life, then I'll go out and do things. But that's never going to happen, let's just be honest. As soon as you get one thing figured out, five other things are going to fall apart, right? Somebody told me the other day, they said, I'm just waiting for the season to end. And I said, oh, don't do that. Because once that season ends, another one's going to start. It's not football. We don't get a break in between. One season leads into the next season, leads into the next season. We're never going to be completely prepared or ready to do the work that we're called to do. But we're always going to have the ability to do it because we're not the ones doing it. It's God in us doing it. You see, we were made for more than what we settle for in this world. And you and I as a church, as we look at the vision that we have come up with, that God has put on our hearts, this vision to create community, community that heals, community that renews, community that brings growth spiritually for us and for others, when we look at that vision statement that is before us, that's not something I can do by myself. That's not something you can do by yourselves. That's something we have to choose intentionally to do together. And the only way we can do that is by living into these two things, loving and sharing. And they feed each other, right? First, we take this love and then we share it and then it comes back and it's this circle that feeds itself. I was talking 
last night to a friend of my son's. And he's a junior in high school, and he's trying to get all the best grades he can. And he told me, he said, you know, Miss Alyssa, I just really, I'm number 12 in my class, and I'd really, I really want to be number, I want to be at least number 10 in my class. And I said, that is awesome. I said, I think that's fabulous. I said, but I want you to know, I want you to know, if you never make it to number 10, that doesn't get to define you. That doesn't get to define you. And he looked at me and he said, but how? <laughs> because my grades are the thing that's important about me. And I said, yeah, you're smart, but that's not what defines you. It's not what defines you. And every single one of us sitting here today has something that we hold as a defining piece of who we are. Maybe a few things. Is it grades? Is it your hair? Is it your smile? Is it the amount of money you're able to earn? Is it your job? Is it the kind of house you live in? Is it your family? Are you super proud of your family and you put your family on a pedestal? What is it that you see that defines you? Because the reality is, no matter what it is for you, it's going to be shaken in this lifetime. Something is going to come and something's going to shatter that understanding of yourself. Because we're not perfect. Nothing is perfect. The only thing that is perfect is God's love for us as beloved children of God. Brennan's friend was not created to be a super student. He is, but he wasn't created for that. He was created for more than that. And if he can learn to live into that, then he can do those other things too, but he won't be defined by it. And if you and I can learn to live into our identities as children of God, beloved children of God, then we can come together as a community empowered by that love, living into that love, and then taking that love into the world and into our community where it desperately needs to go. That's the call on our life. That's the big thing that we are able to do, not because we're good, not because we're perfect, not because we have the power, but because God gives us that ability. Nothing is going to be perfect in your life except for God's love for you. I'm going to say that again. Nothing is going to be perfect in your life except for God's love for you. And as Jesus tried to get the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the disciples to understand, we don't have to perform for that love. But we are called to take the love that we're given and to share it. To share it with the world that desperately needs to know that before anything awful happened in this world, God created humanity because God loves us and God wants a relationship with us. And that's where we find beauty and hope and peace.
Let us pray. Father, I ask you today to empower us, to embolden us, to give us the ability to see your love and your mercy in the way that you see us, to see others the way that you see us. God, give us your heart for each other, for ourselves, and for this world. It's in your name we pray. Amen.